1: We have a fun show for you today that includes Rwandan comedian Oliver Twist talking about his life and career, we have Rove McManus swinging by to discuss the penultimate episode of WandaVision, and then I try to rave about Ryan Hughes' book XX, A Novel Graphic, without giving anything away. My name is Justin Hamilton, and you're part of a worldwide conspiracy called Big Squid. Before we get into the podcast properly, uh, I feel like I should just give you a heads up as to some stuff that's happening. Uh, If you're free on the 11th of March in Wodonga or the 12th of March in Canberra, I will be travelling with the Sydney Comedy Festival Tour to perform as part of their lineups. Usually a lot of fun. I don't know who I'm on with at this point, but it's quite usually an eclectic range of acts so you'll get a broader sense of who was around the scene and who's performing where and that's what I love about it I love that you can get someone who is a a young inner city comic and then you might get someone who lives in the outer burbs and you might get someone older and someone who's younger they're fun gigs so if you're keen and you're in those areas I would head to the Sydney Comedy Festival website and you will be able to find more details there just so you know what's going on with this podcast, I've just finished watching and writing a script for our next Sophia Coppola series, so Ben and I will be recording that soon. Hopefully, we're just trying to uh, make our schedules line up, and coming up over the next few weeks are interviews with Dave Anthony, Alice Frazier, AJ Lamar. I don't know if you've uh, met him before, but he's great. I actually recorded that podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I'm chomping at the bit To get it up, Rachel Melanta has a really funny segment about snails. I know, you're thinking, what is that about? Trust me, it all makes sense. Well, kind of makes sense when Rachel talks about it. And uh, my friend Garth Jones, he has a new exploitation segment that we're working on. And uh, we've got some good stuff coming your way. So I'm really looking forward to bringing all of that uh, to your ears, I guess. Uh, I've also been talking to an audio producer friend of mine, Andy, who worked with me on The Ballad of John Tildanimus. Anyone who saw those shows knows the soundscapes we created and we're getting ready to produce something new for you that is coming along very soon. I know I keep saying that. I keep saying very soon. It's just been a weird year where there was... Everything just keeps moving. So every time I think, right, I can get this done, something pops up. Not a complaint. There was heaps of free time last year, and that was weird. So uh, I'm happy to be busy. It's just uh, trying to get ahead around how this moving schedule keeps changing shape and form. But we will get there, and this work is getting to be produced very soon. And then on the 25th of April, we will be returning with a new live big squid at Giant Dwarf, which you can once again stream online or come to the venue to watch. Our topic for this show is, can we still enjoy it? And I'll have a blend of returning guests and brand new friends who will be joining us on that stage. I'm sure this is going to be a very interesting and potentially controversial show and will probably have me weeping at some point at all the stuff I just can't get behind anymore. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, I'm sure those of you who have followed me for a while or know me personally probably know what I'm going to lean into at the start. So, Pencil that in your diary. It'll be a great show. Uh, the people that I already have booked are fantastic, and I'll give you more details as to when we're on sale for that. Right. Let's get into the podcast and begin with XX, a novel graphic. Mm-hmm. That is a piece of music from an album by Celestial Mechanic who have two albums on Bandcamp called Citizen Void and The Signal Retransmission. What does that have to do with the book? Well, the music was created as a response to the fictional album in XX which contains a review of this fictional album. But now the album actually exists, so this might be the first time in history where a review... Proceeds the musing. This to me sums up beautifully the ambition that goes into Ryan Hughes' first novel. I originally knew his work as a comics artist in 2000 AD and Dan Dare before I truly understood the breadth of his talent as a British graphic designer. You might not know his name, but you would definitely recognise his work on things like The Invisibles and Flex Mentallo. His new novel takes all of his talent and rolls it into this incredible piece of fiction that bleeds in and out of the real world. In XX, a mysterious signal of extraterrestrial origin has been detected. Jack Fenwick, an artificial intelligence expert, believes he can decode it. Jack and his associates create a way that allows them to step into the alien realm that the signal encodes. But when they enter this place, they discover that it is already occupied by strange entities that possibly come from Earth's past. Have these entities been created for such an eventuality, or are they the first line of defense against an alien intelligence that wants to declare war not for our planet, but for our minds? That is essentially the novel, but it is also so much more than that. I bought this novel on a whim after reading Grant Morrison speak about it, but when it arrived, I looked at the 980 pages in front of me and figured, this isn't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Who am I kidding? I'm really busy. I don't have the brain space to take this on. I don't have the arm strength to hold this up. Yet every time I walked past the bookshelf and looked at the cover, it kept calling out to me to give it a try. And I did. Yes, I did judge Ryan's book by the cover, but since he's a graphic designer, I feel like that's what I was meant to do. I flicked through the first few pages and three weeks later, I finished the last page. That was while producing six podcasts, seven live shows, a couple of guest projects, a trip to Adelaide and back. Like, it's been a full-on few weeks, and I still managed to rip through this tome. It was so compelling. I couldn't put it down. One of the great attributes about the story is that while it is full of big ideas, it is really easy reading. It clips along at such a brisk pace, and I found myself oscillating between moments of existential horror on one page to laughing out loud the next. Hughes' novel incorporates magazine and newspaper articles, fictitious Wikipedia pages, NASA transcripts, interview transcripts, emails, patterns in real world signs, data visualizations, maps, alien alphabets, and an eight part novella by a 1960s counterculture guru called Herschel Teague that sits adjacent, but also informs the rest of the book. In fact, While I was reading the novella, I honestly couldn't work out where reality and fiction met. You can spend ages just looking at the covers for the novella that Ryan Hughes created that is literally the front end papers. Like... I spent ages just looking at them and letting my imagination run wild. This is the type of ambitious and beautifully bonkers type of storytelling I love. There's so much for me to go back over now that I've finished the novel and I can't wait to continue finding more and more as I casually flick through the pages. Like, as an example, I only found the album because there was a QR on one page and at first I was like, oh, that's a nice flourish, but then I thought, maybe it works took out my phone, and ta-da, there was a whole album. (laughs) That's the kind of thing that you're dealing with. It has a beautiful English sense of humour to it, and one of the main characters I pictured perfectly as actor Harry Lloyd. I won't say which one because I don't want to influence you in any way in case you check it out, but I could just visualise so much of everything that was happening in this book. I don't want to say too much about the story because it is more fun to have it reveal itself, but there was a moment where my head was so full of ideas that were absolutely beyond my emotional capabilities that I had to put the book down and do a little walk around my apartment to keep myself from sliding into some weird-ass agoraphobic meltdown. But straight after that, there was a part of the story that made me laugh so hard, all I could think was, Ryan, get the fuck out of my head. It was such a roller coaster in, in, in such a great way as well. This is a visualizing, stimulating treat with type and layout being important to the narrative. It is incredibly thought-provoking and will infect your mind with ideas and theories that will engage all of your senses. If you love sci-fi, the works of Stanley Kubrick, Punk, the TV show spaced, Arthur C. Clarke Dada grant morrison and the modernist movements of the 20th century then this is the book for you the daily mail described it as the moby dick of science fiction the financial times said xx keeps you turning the pages engages with big ideas and delivers an authentic jolt of awe as it takes its galaxy spanning conceit to the limit it also has my favorite quote of the year and i look I know we're only into March, but I reckon I'll be hard-pressed to find a quote that surpasses this. But the quote is, how do you kill a bad idea? You have a better one. I loved Ryan Hughes' first novel, and I recommend XX, a novel graphic, to anyone who wants to lose themselves in a thrilling and mind-expanding story that brings intimacy to the universe we live in. Okay, let's talk about the penultimate episode of WandaVision, which allows us to see and experience all the events that led to the moment Westview became Wanda's sitcom playground. We now know that Agatha is indeed more than we suspected, and we see her origin story in Salem as her fellow coven of witches, including her mother, by the way, turn on her for dabbling in powers that are forbidden. But the thing is, Agatha is more powerful than all of her fellow witches and she drains their powers, which also remind us, yeah, Agatha was the shark in the advert. You know, feeding on the yogo magic. Maybe all of these adverts have been Wanda's subconscious attempting to warn her about what was really happening in the real world. Agatha travels through Wanda's memories, and we see the family life that Wanda and Pietro originally were a part of. We also see that Wanda's powers are innate, rather than just a product of the Mind Stone. If anything, the Mind Stones just supersize those powers. Later in her life, when Hydra experiment on Wanda, we see the Mind Stone change colour, and a woman, who looks like she's dressed in the classic costume, come floating towards her Agatha refers to her as the Scarlet Witch, and now we have a feeling that this is a mythological figure. Or is this an older Wanda returning through her incredible power to warn the younger Wanda about what lays ahead? We, we don't know at this point, but it's all exciting. Also, her, her kind of mask thing looks still a bit horny, and I don't mean that in a sexy way, like in a little bit devilish. Maybe that is horny for you. Why are you bringing that up? That's a little bit weird. But anyway, maybe Mephisto still is on the outskirts of this story. Who knows? It's so much fun to theorise. We have no idea what lays ahead. Later, we see Wanda grieving her lost brother and the empathy that Vision exhibits towards her. In the best scene of the series, Vision sits with Wanda and brings a level of poetry to her life that has been absent for many years. But what is grief if not love persevering, says Vision? And we are finally given a reason for Vision and Wanda to come together, and that is their mutual loneliness. This series does what the movies didn't have time for, how two very different people can find love with each other. After the events of Avengers Endgame, Wanda discovers Vision's disassembled body and places her hand on his head. Wanda whispers, I can't feel you. And... This reflects the moment in Avengers Infinity War when Wanda touched Vision's head and said, I just feel you. When she's told she isn't allowed to give him a proper burial, she drives to the town of Westview, New Jersey. Why does she go there? Because Vision had bought a house for the two of them. And this is where the series begins. Agatha is obsessed with the level of Wanda's power. How did she get to this incredible level? We have one more episode to find out but do not underestimate a woman's love. Let's bring in Rove. One of the criticisms levelled at Marvel movies is that they often tell you to care about characters without really showing you why. And did you initially fill this with Wanda and Vision, or had you read enough of their... uh, character arcs in the comics that you just filled in the gaps when you saw the movies
0: oh i would say for the movies yeah i i I did see them as well probably more wonder i think vision didn't feel like such a peripheral character he you know he had enough enough of a backstory with jarvis via ultron and out the other side so that was you felt like you connected with him a bit more maybe just because i knew paul bettany the actor Maybe that kind of, you just, you know, like you don't feel you need to know as much about Tony Stark when you go to Robert Downey Jr. He's got so much charisma, it's being hand out, handed out to third world countries. And he does a lot of stuff wrong. Um, and yeah, let's not forget, he's an a, an international arms dealer, ladies and gentlemen, but he's just, he's such a wisecracker, we don't care. So I think Paul Wanda was just left in in this world of, I don't quite know who she is. She, she obviously stepped up by the time we get to um, Endgame. She's very much one of those characters you enjoy seeing. But I think you're right. It's probably because I have decided I like her. Um, she comes across as very cool on screen. I like the way she's portrayed. But if you asked me to tell you who she is in the MCU. Yeah, her brother got killed. Yeah, her brother got killed and she she got sad and there were experiments um, and she's got powers. What are her powers? I don't know. How did she get them? Eh, You know, we're working on that.
1: And that's also what was great about that episode that we just watched is that's a tricky episode to pull off because you could end up just having a lot of information said to you but what it ended up doing was it just went in between all the movies and filled in some gaps so retrospectively now we're really emotionally connected to each character
0: and what how is this for when you think you've seen every single origin story the way that it can be done this was such an amazing, this is what I love most about this episode was you're getting the origin story to a character years after she's been first seen on screen and weeks after the show has we're penultimate episode and we're getting the origin story in, in you know, the, the full episode dedicated to it. You wouldn't normally get that amount of time on screen to tell a character's Origin, You know, I think one of the last Batman movies, they just squeezed it in the opening titles. So, um, so I thought it was beautifully done. And as I was talking about last week, how this has elevated um, Wanda's character. Now I think we've officially got the Scarlet Witch um, mantle. I thought it was coming next week, but here we go. Um, isn't she now just suddenly one of those ones if they said, oh, we've got a Scarlet Witch movie coming, you'd say, absolutely, bring it on.
1: Well, this is why these TV series are such a good idea. And I wonder if we will get more origins where we'll just, rather than have those origin movies, like Doctor Strange feels a little bit like magic Tony Stark in the way the beats are hit.
0: Well, a lot of that, even in this episode, we're getting... a a bit more information and backstory on Wanda's powers. Um, None of these things are ever properly explained in any kind of comic book or universe, really. Um, It's just too hard and too complicated. And because magic is usually the answer. But the fact that you've got the Agnes character saying, "I, I need to know what your powers are because what I'm seeing around me and how you've done it is beyond even my capabilities and how beautifully done was her origin story in her own right where the wonderful twist of, oh, no, you're not here as a witch during the Salem trials with a bunch of humans around you. It's your fellow coven are putting you on trial for casting spells above your station and she's like, well, yeah, because I'm heaps good at it. <laughs> Who wants to be turned into a prune? So when she's the one saying, the one to Wanda, kid, where'd you get these powers from? Because I am impressed. That's when. it, it fills in all those gaps of okay you know the the mind stone maybe gave something to her plus the trauma and what that can bring out of someone you hear stories of people who find super strength when their child is trapped under a vehicle or something and they you know the the human body can just do incredible things so all of that really makes sense and is plausible um for it all to be given context through the character of Agnes and her perspective and then her wanting to take Wander on these flashbacks to go, show me when it happened and show me how it happened.
1: It also tells us that the, the shark really was her, like the shark was feeding in the advert, was feeding on the magic. And it also makes sense of her first line in the first episode where she turns up and says, sorry, I'm late. And that's probably because she's been looking over what's happening in Westview and thought, oh, I have to go and check this out. And then she's slipped into this world. I, I, I'm i curious, do you want another big bad like a Thanos? Do you want something like Mephisto or Nightmare? Or would you prefer the Marvel Universe to break down into different skirmishes so we've got all these different sort of things happening?
0: I feel, I feel it needs one, a big bad, only because... That's what they've set up and I, I can't speak for everybody how many people are necessarily watching WandaVision uh, and how many people will or won't allow it into their headcanon of it being part of the cinematic universe. It feels that the movies need something like that only because it's been set up that way. Um, I am quite happy with a character like Agnes, who isn't necessarily one of your major ones. And she's a bit of an off on again, off again, nemesis for Wanda anyway, in the comic books. She's sometimes an enemy, sometimes a mentor. And you can kind of see that happening a little bit in WandaVision where she's almost like, I, I will, I'm antagonizing you to show you what your powers are capable of. Um, So I, I, I think there will be a something. At the end of this, yeah, you know, one of Agnes's first lines, I think it's episode two when when um, one of the other characters says, oh, the devil's in the detail, and she, aside to Wanda, says that's not the only place he is. Um, Wanda's got this map that's brought her to Westview in the first place. We don't necessarily assume that that was sent from Vision. Um, you know, it says V, but I don't know, I haven't really thought about but the V could be somebody else, but certainly someone having brought we we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, the idea that there's so many layers. So the idea that someone's brought Wanda there and that's brought these powers out of her through her grief, which has attracted Agnes's attention to go, I want to come and see how how you got how you made this happen, uh, suggests there is still we've still got somewhere else to go. And with one episode left
1: I'm excited for Anti Vision because it feels like if if vision in the hex is emotional vision, because that's what Wanda's conjured up, then we have cold mechanical vision, which kind of calls back to a, a John Byrne mm. storyline with West Coast Avengers. It, it A, maybe, maybe he'll become whole by merging both of those, but also Paul Bettany keeps going on about how there's an actor he's always wanted to work with. Is it going to turn out to be Paul Bettany?
0: I mean, how funny would that be if all along his for as much as your deep dive last week had me thinking oh my god you've absolutely nailed it maybe it is just yeah i get to work alongside myself which is brilliant so yeah white white vision as i know very little about except that as far as i recall in the comic books he's just he's he's the vision that was created to, uh, I guess like we've seen in the show, we want our own vision, we don't know how, we're we're going to try to do what we can and get the technology to do it but this one doesn't have the memories and emotion of of the original.
1: He's essentially an emotionless weapon which is kind of what it feels like SWORD wanted him to be. I was just doing a quick look at uh, Marvel characters that begin with V, all I could think of was Vishanti who is, isn't that one of Doctor Strange's spells that he makes and then there's it wouldn't be von Strucker, would it
0: or von doom no probably not um no that's where you go i think look the idea that um it's probably just easier to 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 not have to write the full name vision i think it's done the job that was intended to do because if you're trying to be a bit sly about it you wouldn't you wouldn't be trying to do it in a love heart you would just lie and say oh yeah it's me vision here's a, a map of where you need to be Love and kisses, see you soon. And then go, surprise, it wasn't really. But we've got the idea of who's the bigger big bad. We've got, um, I think we'll see, you know, full force uh, Wanda here. We've still got um, uh, Monica, you know, who, who knows where, where she's ended up. And, yeah, and, and emotionless white vision on the way. So there's a lot, it's going to be a lot in a half hour. Let's not forget, these are short episodes.
1: Are there any, because of what we've seen happen with uh, the way they've worked these characters, are there any other Marvel characters from the movies that you would like to see get the WandaVision treatment?
0: Oh, that's a great question.
1: I feel like we're going to get it with Hawkeye.
0: I was thinking that. he would He would be the one.
1: He always gets such short shrift as a character because in the comics he's he's a hothead like he's the one who's always calling Cap old man and you know he's funny he's a little bit more Han Solo but in the movies they've made Tony Stark a little bit more that and in in the knockdown effect that's reduced Hawkeye to he's got a family he's grieving he's not grieving
0: He's, he's got a he's got a family he doesn't have any powers but a seemingly never-ending supply of arrows in his quiver so that's important um yeah he i think i think he'd be the one it's safe to say he's you know he's 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 that one that you look at going oh well that gives me hope i could be an avenger if i just practice practice my archery skills right <laughs> yeah they can do it so yeah i think that would be that would be a good one I think maybe
1: Hawkeye feels like the the number one character for me. Like I'd be quite happy to see if if they're not going to cover it. I, I don't know if they're going to cover it in the Black Widow movie, but if you saw some of their adventures, like if you got a an eight part series of things they were getting up to, and it's a little bit more spy driven and action driven, I'd be into that. And then I guess on a cosmic level, it would be it'd be kind of fun to get a. Story with the Collector. <laughs> like, imagine a crazy-ass story with the Collector trying to pick things up all over the universe and how that goes right or wrong. And because it's Benicio del Toro and it was such a weird type of performance, you could bring the Grandmaster in. It could be this weird sibling thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a, the, the, the wonderful thing with this series is just how much breath they gave it I mean this is normally something you know when you and Ben are talking about a film and saying oh do you reckon this could be a series the idea that could this series have been a film and you think no I don't know that it could it's you know the fact that it is episodic works into the narrative of how the show is structured Um, you, you would how you would get to the end of a WandaVision episode being hey this one's set in ni- the 1950s and then you, and then next week you come back and it's a brand new set and it's a decade later seemingly i don't know how you would be able to portray that on screen without everyone ha- getting an end credit sequence and a week off and then we come back and we watch it again so this idea now that they've been able to find this way to tap into um into, into telling stories this way is I I, honestly, I I just think it's, it's game changing, especially for, I mean, they've been doing it with star Wars. So it it makes sense to be doing it with Marvel, but man, just the way they're tapping into it It, it
1: really leaves you kind of, uh, hungry for each episode. And it's also got me really looking forward to not only the Falcon and the winter soldier, but we've also got Loki coming up after that. It's like, okay, well keep, keep feeding me. I'm up for this, uh, uh, grief is an experience that is a fascinating one in in movies and TV and all sorts of entertainment because it's it's often used as a way, and probably in the real world as well, as an opportunity to kind of treat other people poorly. Like, oh, you got to understand they're grieving, but that doesn't sometimes take away from the fact that they're being a bit off themselves do you think there should be any fallout from Wanda's behavior
0: no I don't think so because again I think she I think her grief has been manipulated um as it has gone along and it seems she's been holding so much of it in and then finally you know it all just comes almost literally exploding out of her um that final straw of she thinks she's going to find vision somehow, he's found a way back, but it turns out to not be the case. And whether it's because the note was written before his death or, again, it's a trap laid by somebody else for everything that's happened since. I, I think it's it's fair to say that's not her fault, Um and what a wonderful thing to sort of think that was—that's the catalyst for everything that's happened. And then there was that wonderful quote from Vision about how um, grief is love finding its way back through a love persevering. I think was his his way of phrasing it, which is, um, which I think is exactly it. You know, why would Wanda be feeling this way if not for the fact that she's you know lost her parents she's lost her brother she's lost her, her love um and then it, it finally just all came out of her so i think the repercussions of that are not are not her fault at all i mean geez if we wouldn't we all like to somehow have the ability to trap ourselves in a fictitious world based on your favorite tv shows from when you were a kid man I'd be running around with the members of G-Force and jumping in Doctor Who's time machine and battling Astro Boy and getting on the three-wheeled goodies bike.
1: I feel like you just ticked all of my boxes as well. I'd definitely be up for G-Force. I'd be totally up for that. <laughs> That's uh, such a funny uh, thing to think about. <laughs> what I'd, I'd be in? I'd be in the swamp in Mash as a doctor for some reason, but I'd be I'd be on the Hawkeye side making fun of Major Burns or. Winchester,
0: I think too, because what are, it's it's really that the the hex is one and and it, it's version of Westview is just Wanda's way of coping with the grief. She's just kind of shut herself in. So also anything that's happened within there, people infiltrating that to get what they need to extrapolate out of her, whether it's whether it's from. Agnes, whether it's from, let's not forget, sort of outside trying to bash their way into, too. And, and so anything that's been happening inside is her just saying, everyone just fuck off and leave me alone. Um, so, yeah, that's absolutely fine. If, if someone's in that sort of emotional turmoil and you bother them and they lash out, I, I don't think it's their fault at all. It's
1: interesting to see as well that when we see the the place before she takes over, Like, the woman from the first episode is sitting by herself, but when we see her in the first episode, she's married, and then we see the guy putting up piano lessons that nobody's taking, and then he was in the talent quest.
0: He was playing the piano. So, you know, let's remember that next time um, Vision snaps someone out of their Westview haze, and they're like, oh, dear God, help me, dear, help me. You know, this place was a dump before Wanda got here. You were all miserable, and now you're living the life of every day's a sitcom and you you could be Brian Cranston. Look, it makes you do realise of all the Brian Cranston shows that um Wanda could have grown up watching, thank goodness it wasn't breaking bad, that would have been <laughs> Who knows what this hex would have turned out like. That would have been...
1: That's a very different conversation. Is it funny because he got hurt grievously? No, it's not that kind of show. Uh, is this funny because it's super dark? Yes, yes, it is. That That is that show. That body that they've dissolved in the bathtub, <laughs> falling through. It's funny because it's awful. You're right, Vision. Why are we watching this?
0: <laughs> it doesn't need a laughter track. It doesn't help.
1: I'll let you get out on this. We all know that this leads into the next Doctor Strange movie. So... What do you think is going to happen in the last episode?
0: Oh, um, I think I do think there's still a reveal to come. I think we still have a big bad to come, and I, I, I realize that's a big ask. It might be done in the mid credits credits sequence, um, where we find out there's a something else, like maybe Agnes is thwarted, and there's a last minute. Shout out from her that summons something. I still think the twins are going. I don't hold out hope for the boys. I know it's not quite that type of show, but I don't know. If you want one last thing to push Wanda across the line. And there is something too. Like I I feel like could there be something in a Doctor Strange movie where the um, vision, no pun intended, we see of what looks like a modern take on the traditional Scarlet Witch costume, when she was back in the lab, and the Mind Stones come out, and she just sees that silhouette of what looks like her outfit, but but not like we saw her in the Halloween episode. So, is there a something where you know we we get to that point where she is she is the Scarlet Witch in in her full glory, and it's her that comes back thanks to Dr. Strange, into her own timeline to use the Mind Stone to give herself her own power.
1: This is exactly how I want my storytelling (laughs) to unfold. All over the place, but if you're patient, it all comes together.
0: Absolutely. But also, again, I'm perfectly fine if all we do is wrap up what we've got with WandaVision and and Westview, you know. uh, Yeah, Monica, there's there's Captain Marvel 2 is on its way. Uh, soon enough, so you know if if we pick that up there, that's fine. Um, I tell you what, if you want to mention another, uh, if you want to ask about another series that I would watch, the Adventures of Jimmy and Darcy on the road solving mysteries together.
1: Yeah, and because rather than having the believer and the non-believer, you would have the super serious and the quippy. <laughs> and and the super serious trying to be funny and learning magic tricks and the quippy <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would be a fun dynamic, and just like even if it's like they're just going off and just doing tiny little offshoot stories, or they're, they're sort of the cleanup crew after the the major stars that were in the movie have disappeared, they're kind of coming in and filing out the report, doing the paperwork afterwards. Like that would be fun
1: when all the heroes have moved on. <laughs> yes, I'd watch that.
0: Yeah, and the, and the original townsfolk who were you know sad, lonely people at tables and putting piano lesson signs on on the shop window are um, are sitting there talking to them, just trying to find out what happened
1: remember the tv series in treatment and it was like four episodes a week and you'd have a different yeah i would do it like that i'd have heaps of them like give me 30 episodes of that each (laughs) season and i would be totally into it uh that was great thank you for that and i'm looking forward to to see if we're right if we're wrong if it's ray fines or it's just paul bettany rap to be able to work with himself
0: either way everyone wins
1: I'm pleased to present this interview with young comedian Oliver Twist. I've had the pleasure of performing with Oliver around Sydney and we recently appeared on a big lineup show where he showed us how he continues to shine. He has a one-man play called Jolly at the Griffin Theatre from the 16th to the 27th of March. I'll post a link for it at the Big Squid Facebook page for you. This is a fun and fascinating chat, so let's get straight to it and welcome Oliver to Big Squid. Before we started recording, you said... The sentence that I love to hear from young people, or or, or from anyone, to be honest, <laughs> right? W- which is, I've just started getting into David Bowie, and yeah. I was like, "Well, welcome to the podcast." <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what uh, what did you know about Bowie beforehand, and and what got you interested in him? I didn't know
2: a whole lot about Bowie. Um, what got me interested into Bowie? I was what was I watching? I was watching a uh, a comedy special on Netflix um, by uh, what's what's that New York comedian? Colin? Oh, uh, Conan? Not Conan. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Conan is also from New York. Yeah. No, Colin. Colin. Uh, um, I can't think off the top of my head. What is his last name? It's called Blue State, Red State.
1: Oh,
0: um,
1: um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't think of his last name. Hang on, just keep talking and I reckon... Or look it up. Yeah, Blue State, Red State. At the end of that special, he ends with
2: um, Love Is Lost from The oh, Next yeah. Day. Yep. The 2013 Bowie album. And yep. I was like, this song is freaking amazing. Yeah. And maybe this was like two years ago that I was watching this. And I was like, huh. I've never really... Like, I knew of Bowie. But I've never really gotten into him up until that moment where I was like, oh, let me dive deep into like actually listening um, to his music. So I started with that album the next day and kind of like made my way backwards and forth.
1: Um, So you started with his second to last album. I know. Which is great. It's great. It's a great album. But I also, uh, I think getting into any artist, especially, uh, by the way, it's Colin Quinn. That's what you're thinking of, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. So, um, part of what's really fun about getting into any artist at any point is just coming at it from different angles. Like, so for me, I got into Bowie in 1983 uh, when he was hitting it big with Let's Dance, but that meant I could go back and I had all these years of albums there was Bowie before 1983 yeah look I'm telling you this is (laughs) going to blow your mind There's, there's heaps it goes all the way back to sixty-five. If you really That's want to do insane. the deep dive, what is that time? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, well, I also before I started recording, you asked me when I started doing comedy, and I told you, and you were like, "Far out! That's a long time ago."
2: <laughs> no, this grey isn't just for show. It's it's very interesting time at the moment. Like, i my I have. Three younger sisters And they all spend time on TikTok Like yep. a whole lot And their concept of comedy Is all these young people performing on TikTok yep. And they were born like after the 90s Which to me Like it just baffles my mind So anything before or after my time Is yep. like wow well, Hang on, what year were you born? 96. 96 So I was born in 96 And there's like all these so, Like TikTok comedians whatever, that were born <laughs> in,
1: like, 2005. Oh, yeah. It's insane, isn't it? And it's... It, it, w- Wait till you're doing stand-up and one day you're performing with someone and you realise you've been performing longer, than, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is what is happening to me right now. Oh, right. <laughs> Longer than they've been alive? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, getting back to the artist thing, getting into an artist at any point, I, I always... You, you know, there can be, especially in fandom, there can be a, a toxicity to it where people can kind of get on their high horse. Oh, yeah, you get into it through that way. Right, right, right my, right. my take is, if you discover something or someone and you get in wherever you get in, whatever. Like, that's great. That means yeah. you've got this whole world to explore and I'm I'm quite uh, envious of the position that you're in. Yeah. Because you have a whole lot of stuff to discover. And, uh, like, during, during the lockdown... Uh, people who listen to this podcast would know that uh, i went back and listened to uh, a 70s band called roxy music led by brian ferry Uh and i read an article where it was talking about the punk movement in the uk and the only two uh, music artists that the punk movement didn't turn on were david bowie and roxy music and i was like roxy music i know a few of their songs Like, like and so the that sparked my curiosity and then I went back to their first album. And right. then I listened to everything in sequential order and it's like you know what that was? That was a really good couple of months. <laughs> yeah. It was really fun. <laughs> yeah, just diving into it. For me
2: it's always been like discovering an artist at a moment in time. I don't I I don't like going with the mode like I'm not yeah. I'm not about to like, oh this is what we're listening to, so let's listen to this. I like the artist to invoke me with their piece of work, album whatever, at a moment in time. So when I I discovered I started listening to Kendrick Lamar on his third album, to Pimpy Butterfly. Right. And a lot of people go, oh, you weren't here for the first two. And it's like, that to me is the album that spoke to me the most. And I just stumbled upon it. And then I went back to listen to the other two, obviously. And then everything afterwards, after that. But it's kind of like whatever speaks to you. And it's a very specific moment in Kendrick Lamar's career at that point when he released To Be My Butterfly. The other two are different. So it's like... Yeah, I can see how the circles that I was in at that time, this is the album that found me, or at the very least, this is the kind of music I gravitated towards to. Yeah. And in that way, that's that's more commendable for me. I appreciate that to just go, oh, I, this is where I found myself in in that space. And what was it about that album that spoke to you at that point? It That album spoke to me specifically because it's... Uh, it is, it's a very deeply political album. It's when Obama was in office and the cover of the whole, uh, album is, uh, him and, uh, his homies from Campton at the very front of the white, white house. house. Yeah. Just like shirtless, like drinking, just like yeah. middle finger to the camera. Uh, just one of those. And I was like, Oh, this is just like a very fuck you moment, um, in a way. And, um, It's, like, deeply aggressive, unapologetic, just telling you, like, where he comes from and how he's ended up to that point. And there's a lot of themes of, like, uh, what it means to be black in America. And that was 2015, and I just got in Australia 2014, which to me was interesting because I never – when I was in Malawi – before I came to Australia, I've never thought of myself as black. Everyone else around me was black. Right. The concept of being black is within the white gaze. So I get to Australia, surrounded by white people, and they're like, you're black. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that the last 18 years. So it was like a, a really good um, album to listen to in terms of like um, what it means to kind of like live in a white society.
1: Yeah, that's a, it's a pretty amazing album, and the, the time that it came out was... A little bit ahead of the curve of where the discourse was. Yeah. uh, You know, in the political language. And uh, just one byline, have you listened to... uh, There's something specific I want to get back to, but have you listened to Bowie's last album, Black Star? I have. Yeah, so uh, he and his producer were big fans of Kendrick Lamar. Oh, yeah? So, you know, they were always listening to uh, his producer that he worked on and off with for decades. They were always uh, across different types of uh, music and were big fans. They never stopped being fans of stuff. I think that's a really important aspect as an artist, is to always be uh, still having the joy of watching another artist's work and learning from them. And uh, over the years, you can hear where, you know, like in the 70s, you can hear when... uh, Bowie's doing his soul music and then you can hear when he's fusing uh, african-american music with the austere uh, kind of industrial sounds of kraut rock you yeah, know, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah and so you can you can hear a little bit of of uh, the joy they were getting out of Lamar in yeah. in Black Star, which is uh, always commendable, I think. It's
2: always very, very um, good to to see
1: sparks of inspiration
2: in other artists from, yeah. like, other genres. And, and, like, that album is deeply infused with jazz yeah. and funk, yeah. which is, you know, as, as time is concerned, it's like before my time of like actually listening to music and enjoying it yeah um and i will still be i will still be able to like connect with it and that's the beauty of like a great artist at a moment in time they're able to take a certain period of time make it feel modern and then palatable to like the kind of audience that are there in that moment
1: yeah and and not being afraid to i think there was like a a snobbery to look down and say that you're a fan of other things as well and just being right. blatant and saying i really like this and this is what i learned from it because then what that does is i i discovered lots of artists through bowie being a fan right so to be honest i discovered that kendrick lamar album which i'd heard about and i knew i'd read about but when i heard about the influence on Blackstar, then i went backwards and then listened to that and went oh yeah right interesting and so i have that on vinyl and have like listened to it quite the, you know the vinyl experience yeah the is vinyl it's the real experience <laughs> it's, yeah it's good it's fun but um, so <laughs> you were talking about coming to Australia and suddenly realising oh hang on a sec I'm I'm considered this which I've never been considered before in being yeah. black and it's it's uh, I've only ever really experienced that a few times in my life once uh, when I was in New York and I went and saw a uh, Thurston Moore concert and in realized blackface? in blackface, and, uh, and then they were like, "Oh!" and they were like, "This guy seems pretty cool. Why don't we <laughs> hang out with him forever?" <laughs> is exactly how it went down. Uh, no, but um, yeah, you are I was. I was the. I think my mate and I. We were the only two white people in the room, and it was not a big deal. Like it wasn't. It wasn't anything other than realizing. Oh, I don't think I've ever been. The minority before, and the only other two times was um, uh, once in a bar in Caratha uh, and we realized everyone was Aboriginal. And uh, the comedian I was with and and myself, we were the only white people. And then, funnily enough, uh, Tom Gleason and I went and saw uh, Fear of a Brown Planet with Nazim and Amir. And and they were doing a lot of stuff. (laughs) And it was (laughs) really, we were finding it really exhilarating to be sitting there and and once again be the minority and feel everything that's going on and hearing these uh, thoughts that were, you know, different to everything else we'd been experiencing. And... It's it's fascinating, especially, like, the life of privilege I've led to not be in that situation too often, And but when I have, to find it exhilarating, and I'm sure that it was a different experience at times when you first came here. A different experience of... Of, you know, like, sometimes it would have been exhilarating, like, I'm sure, in some comedy rooms... Right. ...the ability to be different oh, yeah, is for... exhilarating, but there would have been times when it is... For the Scary. longest
2: time, I was, like, the only, um, you know, black comedian in Brisbane <laughs> doing, right. doing shows. It's like, and then maybe I, I took that for granted, but it's also, like, that was never kind of my focus. No. It's also, like, you know, I get into this with, the, with a lot of people is because you want to share an experience at the very least. And experiences can be universal regardless of color. Just because someone tells me, they're white it doesn't mean i have to believe it you know right <laughs> it's the same way that if i jump on stage and i tell you i'm black you know it doesn't it doesn't mean that you have to believe it like what's inherently underneath that experience um so i was definitely like um something that people had never seen before in brisbane and as uh, as good as that is for like getting more gigs and more work Um, I didn't want to be like something I didn't want to be an exotic story that people would listen to I wanted to share something um, something more tangible you know something of like an experience it's like oh you could also kind of been in my position or regardless of what position I was in this is how it felt for me so if you could also share that feeling that's that to me that's the goal and then enjoy within the, those experiences, like the humor that came from it,
1: and it, it's, you know it, I think it 's really interesting what you say about it it 's a foot in the door when when you start out, yeah, but then the industry is quick to decide this is the box that you 're going to fit into, and it can be difficult to take the opportunities and then push back against that right, and so was there a point in the Brisbane, uh, you know, time that you were performing in the scene there regularly that you were sort of suddenly feeling a bit like ah, I don't really want to be pigeonholed, or was it something that you didn't really notice until you moved to Sydney?
2: I've I've never felt it to the fullest of extent. I, I feel like it's. Um it's more of a of a of a personal choice. There are people that really lean into that. Yeah. And that's that's their business. Oh yeah. Um to each his own. But for the most part it was like if you're good and you can you can be good on stage and be professional that's about all we want from you. But the, the pressure, the pressure was definitely very real to kind of be like, oh, man, it would be so easy if I could do these type of jokes yeah. and just literally get the paycheck and then go home or just get that footstep and step further. Yeah, uh, But yeah, I had to step back. There's moments I've had to step back and interrogate like what I want to say and my intention and how it's coming across. And I think if there's anything in terms of like, um people i enjoy listening to people i enjoy watching in a cop in across platforms of like artistry is like the intention and how it's coming across and making sure that it is that is your intention if it is your intention to lean into that you know that cultural background or like whatever you're using then by all means yeah. um and yeah but i never felt it in brisbane it's also in brisbane there's like I mean, for the most part, it's doing rooms where it's just, you know, punters with, you know, just beers. They don't care. They're like, they do not. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, you know. <laughs> I went like, oh, give us your background. Like, give us what you can. It's like, for the most part, they're like, if you can make me laugh, that's about it.
1: Well, and that's like some of the better rooms. Like, there are yeah. some oh, rooms yeah. where it's like, mate, like the dogs are about to race. And can you just... Can you get on with it? Because I've got a lot writing on this.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> what's the, what's that? That's the is a the unfortunately for me named Hamilton Hotel was. One oh of yeah, those bits. <laughs> I think I did that once. Oh, I was like, oh Hamilton, Hamilton Hotel, this will be Hotel. funny. Oh yeah. my god! And then I got up. I was like, oh, this is that like- was bleak.
2: It is bleak. Someone gave me five dollars at that place because um, I did a joke about. Um, getting donations I don't even remember the joke I don't do it anymore But this guy Thought it was so good And he just went on stage Didn't say a word Just put five dollars Right like beneath my feet When I was performing Right He he thought you were a busker <laughs> He thought I was a busker Which is like In all oh, I mean Jesus. I was like I took the money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That's it's not like insane. it's like it would be rude not yeah. to. Um <laughs> but
1: yeah, that place on very
2: bleak moment. it was
1: like you had a a physical Patreon, and that guy wanted to like I'm not on the net, yeah. But how about I see you every every month I'll give you five bucks <laughs> in the moment. <laughs> oh man, that's true power—the power of comedy. <laughs> so, did you did you move here with your family, or did you move here uh, by yourself, and uh, your family still back home, or?
2: Um, that's a tricky question. You know, it's like, where is home? I have not been... I was born in Rwanda, left when I was four. Right. Moved. We flew to Malawi and lived there until I was 18. And then I came here with my immediate family. I have my aunt and my cousins still in Rwanda. Um, they're pretty happy there now that things are calm. Yeah. Um, which is good. And... But yeah, there's been conversation like in the group chats of like maybe wanting for them to come over at some point, but they're pretty happy there, which is fine. Um, and then obviously for us, we have not gone back because it takes a while to get a passport. I just got mine last year and then the pandemic came, so I couldn't travel no. anywhere really. Um, but yeah, my immediate family are
1: in Queensland. Okay. Um, so yeah. And that would be uh, that'd be nice if they could uh, come out here but if they if things are calm and that's their home that's, yeah that's good you yeah. know, is, how is it uh, economically now because like I knew uh, going back it was precarious and is it on the upswing at all or is it just the at- economy of Rwanda or is it has it flattened that's what most
2: people like to tell me that uh, it's doing good right it is doing good it's just um, or is good better which is different to good, right? Yeah, is is good better. It's like most most people I have a conversation with and they it comes up that I am from Rwanda they tell me that it's economically doing better as if economic progress is in itself inherently like a a good thing right it might not be you know the people might be dehumanized in a great economy which happens in most countries in Africa you know you could be doing economically good but the human rights are like horrible if if people are happy then I'm happy as far as I know it's a dictatorship the president there has never lost an election since 1994 which is when the genocide happened and he became president and every kind of like democratic election that's happened he's won it yeah um that's unprecedented in any kind of like you know democratic country. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, the economy doing good has nothing. You know, it does doesn't add anything to the I don't know the happiness of the people in the country.
1: Right. I was kind of thinking just more in a, a direct line to your specific family if they're feeling relatively positive compared to previously. Yeah, I would say Yeah Yeah, I would say Most people
2: um, Yeah They're they're fine They're fine
1: It could be better But they're fine Like we're not scrambling around Yeah, for Um, sure And moving to another country Is not a decision that you make Yeah You know what? Like for lunch, I might have the gnoc- gnocchi, and then Friday, I might move to Brisbane. It's a, it's a big choice, right?
2: And I, gnocchi and Brisbane sounds good. <laughs> that sounds okay. Uh, the,
1: uh, but I also, you know, what, what you say about uh, economic progress dehumanising people, and I, I think you could say that is not just about... Uh, not, like, Of course, it's uh, concentrated uh, and, and, and worse in places like Africa, but I think you also see it in America as well, and that's where you get those... It's the poor people who get disenfranchised and get treated as numbers that leads to all of these kind yeah. of, of issues. So, uh, anyway, it's a roundabout way of saying I think you're completely right about progress not necessarily being progress. Yeah, there's
2: formal form of progress that, uh, that are good, and um, those, as far as I con- I'm concerned, involve the people. Yeah. You can't call an America a progressive country if they have, I don't know, a, pers- a huge percentage of their people in prisons. Like, you can't call it a free country, the land of the free. You can't really say that when, you know, half the people, like, it's 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 in terms of, like, how how are you treating your people? If it's, it's a government that should govern the people... More than like a perception of how you're looking into the world, um, so to me that's that's important.
1: It's just really sad that, and it's you, I don't want to sound naive with this. This is not even really necessarily a new thought, but it is just a, a pity that ninety five percent of people in positions of power are there for positions of power. Oh yeah, and uh, <laughs> you know the spin on hey, I'm doing it for you, and it's like, are you? Are you really? Oh uh, yeah. You know all the. Uh, you know you're seeing it uh, across the board with things like Brexit, and uh, you know suddenly all of that's really starting to kick in, and you're you're starting to get the stories out of the UK now where people said, "Oh, I voted for Brexit. I thought this was going to be a good idea, and now this business I had has lost all its work because it's been sold to that MP's buddy's yeah business. You know, and it's uh, it's. It's hard to maintain a level of positivity and uh, a desire to continue to work towards making change and making things better. But I also think that is the responsibility of the individual who wants to be a part of society is to... Like, I, I don't think it's a good idea to push it all out of your head and and not connect with the world. Yeah. So, yeah. But, you know... I try to do that and that's also why I don't watch the news that much. <laughs> try to keep a level of sanity. Oh yeah.
2: I um I stopped watching the news a long time ago. Like a long time ago. There's uh there's a philosopher out of Europe called Alain de Botton. Are you oh, familiar? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He has that book, um News. Is it News? Yeah. I think it's titled News. I remember reading that and like, Oh he's probably, you know He's got a few things that I agree with him. A few things that I disagree with him. But for the most part, like, I think the point he's trying to make is that it's not a very groundbreaking idea. It's like if it bleeds, it you know it bleeds. Like that's yeah. that's how the news operate these days. Um, I think so. I think you'd be you know an idiot to just like be like, oh, I'm just watching this and then I'm being informed. I think a more thorough work, deep dive into. What the issues are, which at the very least we all understand, right? And so you can feel, you know, it's happening. You don't need to have that like confirmation thing again and again and again and again. It just becomes repetitive.
1: It's interesting, though. The uh, that so I'm quite surprised. Like here in Australia, and we are recording this in uh, roughly the middle of Feb, and you talk to people who, uh, say as an example, I've got lots of friends in Adelaide who can't understand why I'm not doing the Adelaide Fringe. Oh, yes. And uh, I was trying to say to them, you know, well, I don't want to put up thousands and thousands of dollars behind months and months of work yeah. to go home and do a show that could potentially be shut down an hour before I walk on stage. And it's just it's just not a... the the upside of this all working is is not worth all of the potential stuff that could go wrong. <laughs> and so I'm not going to do it. And everyone's, and not everyone, that's unfair. A few people have just been a bit like, yeah, but we've got this under control. And you, it's like, just look overseas and see how one thing goes wrong. Right. And we're in deep trouble. Yeah. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but. Just be aware. And, Just be aware. And those those people have been like, Oh yeah, geez, I looked at the UK and thought, fire out. It's like, yeah, that's been happening like constantly. Right. So trying to get that balance is Yeah. So you have to put the news out. But also You wanna you wanna stay you like you
2: wanna stay you wanna put your finger like it's the same way like great artists do it. Is like they they kinda like study other yeah. great artists. Like yeah. Almost obsessively they're like, "What are they up to on this very second? Yeah, are they about to do something I'm about to do, yeah, in the same way that that is what should be for a a good citizen, yeah, it's like, hey, what is the other person doing are they am I doing something to better their day or better this shared space that we're having? Yeah. You know what I mean, and that extends to the little suburb you live that extends to further and further to the nation that you live and that extends further and further to neighboring countries and all that and within that i think if you're constantly aware without having someone to tell you yeah what is going on you can be at the center of it all without being overwhelmed by it all like pick a day where that is your main focus out of the week that's one day out of seven days and then you can do whatever you want for the rest of the six days.
1: That sounds great. <laughs> I'm totally into this
2: idea. I wish more people would do it. Oh, it's like
1: no one, no one would do it. Some, some do, it. Some do it. some people do it. Some people do it. Some people do it. It feels, uh, I, I've noticed in, uh, so I listen, I'm a big NBA uh, basketball fan and I've been listening to a lot of uh, NBA podcasts while the season is on and yeah I, I've noticed uh, sometimes I notice these things happen at grassroots level and it gives me a little bit of positivity about where the world might be going and uh, I've, I've talked about this with uh, a, a few people but uh, I'll repeat it because I'm I'm hoping that it is a, a sign of good things to come which yeah. is uh, you know the basketballer Kyrie Irving yes so you know how he just Disappeared from the nets for a few weeks, yeah and he's got this massive contract. And one six months ago, everyone would have been just <laughs> ragging on him. Yeah, you know, yeah what yeah, yeah. what is this guy doing? Right. This is his job. Right. But every conversation I've heard has been prefaced with, "Well, we don't know what's going on in his personal life, right? So I'm just going to comment on the basketball." Yes, and it's like great. Yes, that's exactly how it should always have right. been. But that to me is if it's in at the grassroots level in, in the sporting world. Yes. Hopefully, that's where the uh, the way we talk and uh, the way we communicate is going in the macro level of the world. Do you crossed. think that's
2: afforded more to artists and entertainers more than people with essential jobs? Yeah, look... Like what might be
1: considered like an essential part of work? Well, w- what I hope is that it is not just in that world and it's uh, like a synecdoche of the greater right. good. So right. so what I hope from that is maybe an essential worker is getting that recommendation or that understanding, you know? Right. So I'm hoping that that's filtering through society in general. Yeah, Fingers crossed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because those people need it much more than, you know, other people. But Even then, I, I don't even like judging what other people are going through. But, you know, just because a job doesn't get you endorsements and, and a sneaker deal doesn't mean that you can't uh, take some time off and, and right, be right, 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 and right. not taken for granted. Yeah. What's interesting about
2: that, the, like following that thread, is that like sport and like essential work – it's kind of like a kind of work you need to be pure while you're doing it. You know what I mean? Like it's the purest form of work in terms of like you're not intoxicated. With the exception of um, that Smith dude that was smoking weed and going on the basketball court playing oh, all J. the R. time. <laughs> <J. R. Smith. laughs> yeah, it's so funny. But I like at the very least is it's it's a it's a kind of work where you're like oh yeah yeah yeah. Or if something happens. It, something must have gone horribly wrong. Right. But then you come into like artists, right? Where, you know, substances and all that, that's kind of like being used sometimes to like mask or even further the artistry. Yeah. And it's like people are less forgiving. I remember like Emmy, Emmy Winehouse, like, right. and people were like, oh, why is she showing up to show us drunk? And then it's like, well, if someone
1: else showed up. Well drunk to work. Yeah. You would be like, Oh shit, there's some there's some, some greater issue here. Yeah. And we need to take them aside. Whereas uh well I wonder if that is that's because there is also for poor Amy she had lots of enablers around her maybe and had uh she was in a position of power and when right. you're in a position of power like if if I'm if I'm Hamo who works at the store and I'm turning up drunk Someone's probably going to somebody's take me aside. like, hey, but but if I'm Hammer and I'm the manager, and everyone's probably talking behind my back, but still doing what I say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I think we've seen that. You know, we're recording this a couple of days after Eddie Maguire having to stand down from the Collingwood Football Club, and uh, you know, we're we're seeing lots of people in positions of power who have outstayed their welcome, and right. and you know, what's fascinating about it is. Who, The things that they stand down over are so obvious and should have been dealt with immediately when they went down. But it's because they live in this world where they're protected and surrounded by yes people. Yeah. That even when a criticism comes in, the, the defences flank them yeah. and protect them. And even when finally they have to give up and say, oh, well, I have to step down, even then they still don't quite comprehend how they're not the victim.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh It's wild. It's wild, right. It's wild when they're like, huh. I don't I don't know how that happened.
1: Yeah. It's like, no, it's really obvious. Like go back and <laughs> go back and look at everything really closely and take your ego out of it. I think it's important to be able to look at when you've made mistakes. But it's also very terrifying
2: to see how many people are not like away, like me, I I get that I I think about that all the time. The the element of um, self delusion within society and yeah. purely like artistry, which is like a, it's a long game. Yeah, and then you don't want to be like five ten years in and you're like, this. I was so self deluded that I <laughs> I didn't know that maybe this is not for me. It's very like I'm. Um, I I like the you know like the tenacity to go oh yeah I can pursue this but I'm also very objective and clear headed and be like is this for me can I contribute something right. within something that I'm getting involved with and that's kind of important. Did you uh, feel that
1: when you first like how old were you when you first started doing stand up? I was nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah. And when did you have that thought? Did you have I, that at nineteen or did you? I had that
2: at nineteen twenty. I, right. I I I I knew. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew I wanted to contribute something and kind of go live, live within it something that was not there before. Because, like, what do I look like coming, trying to do what everyone has done it before? Um, and, um, yeah, just to, to push the conversation further. Yeah. To push the conversation further and and the platform, which is which is great, which yeah. I love
1: yeah. um, and that to me was something worthwhile. you know when you moved over, I want to get back to that, when you moved over with your family who, who's, <coughs> whose inspiration was it? was it a, your mum or your dad, or was it a joint thing, or was it you sort of suggesting hey? Let's go over there. How did the idea come to move to Brisbane? Um, there
2: was no idea or inspiration. This was a, a work of God. Oh, <laughs> really? As the people say. No. Yeah. Um, it was a purely coincidence. So we were living in Malawi in refugee camp, Zaleika, after mom and dad fled the genocide in yeah. 1994. So we get there, and one of the things... Is, um, you have two options. You can either go back if the country is safe, which it was not, yeah. or you can go to a third country, as they call it, because the country you've arrived in from fleeing is the second country. So you have literally one country you can go to. If you do leave Malawi, for instance, like my family, if we left to go, say, I don't know, South Africa or anywhere else, that would have been our third country and we wouldn't be allowed to leave anywhere else until... We became a citizen of that, which is what happened when we came to Australia. This was our third country, and we couldn't leave. Um, it wasn't our choice. It was UNHCR's choice. So UN under UNHCR, which is the refugee agency... They get to decide where your family goes, you know. I was it wasn't like spin the wheel of <laughs> right, and then like oh pick Australia, which I mean super lucky that we came to Australia. Right, very happy here. The economy is stable enough, people welcoming enough um, to kind of like find your footing and um, your place within it. And mum and my sisters are very happy, uh, which is good. So yeah, it wasn't much of our choice. It took. A, it took a long, long, long time to get here Because you get there And then you have to apply for a settlement Which on average takes 25 years Yeah for like, a, Which is a, it's a long time That's a long time That's someone's career right there right. <laughs> It's like And then like Imagine if that's how long it took you To start a career It's like like this backwards thing yeah which is also very dehumanizing to a moment and think oh how further someone is already ahead of the game before you start.
1: Yeah. Um it's not just someone's career, that's someone's life. That's someone's life.
2: Yeah. Entire life. So like it took it took it took me what nineteen years to kind of like discover like art, like good art. And to start getting involved with it, so I had a lot of like learning to do in terms of like oh man i don't know this person I don't know this person I don't know this person and and that's the thing i'm uh, I'm deciding to get involved with, yeah, which is good because it it should be a choice, yeah, like it should be i mean, I know a lot of people that this was like their childhood dream, and they're like they know every little bit thing about it. And then that's how they come into it. That I didn't come to it into like from that angle. I came into it like, oh man, I need, I need a way to express myself. Yeah, I, I want to share these experiences that I've been through. Yeah, and um, I don't want it to just be this morose kind of like regurgitating of words. I want it to be like a a, a live, present, playful way. So it shows humor, um, and I was like. I think this would be a fun little dichotomy, juxtaposition to go, oh, this and that, this and that. This happened, but also this happened. This happened, but also this happened. Um, But yeah, that's how I ended up here. And then we didn't choose Brisbane. We actually ended up in Ipswich, which is... um, it's it's a Bogan area, very, like, it's not. <laughs> I know Ipswich. <laughs> it's, Ipswich and Logan are some of the worst places in Queensland, period. Right. And imagine coming from a refugee camp and getting to a place and you're like, huh, I wonder why. Maybe I could go back. <laughs> <laughs> How much was that ticket again? Because they do pay for your ticket. So, like, everything is taken care of. Yep. They got us a house and they're like, oh, amazing! Those that house, um, they get you started with expenses and everything. Um, yeah, put your family on welfare, and then until you can sort of like start sustaining yourself. Yeah. And how are your mom and dad going? Um, it was me, mom, and my three sisters. Oh, so right. Dad okay. passed in twenty. 20- Thirteen. Oh, okay. Uh, like a year or two years before we came here. Right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it was just me, mum, and my three sisters.
1: And uh, how's the how's the family unit going? What's your mum doing now? Mum just
2: um, just sits at home. She takes care of my little sis Bonita. Yep, yep. who's lovely, but uh, she is uh, she has Down syndrome, so she has to be looked after, um, and so that's what mum does for the most part. Right. Uh, Angel and Joe they are uh, a school Bonita's a school too. she goes to a special school but uh, yeah Angel and Joe um in school one uni one high school
1: and what do they think of your stand up are mm-hmm. they are they into it do they does it weird them out a little bit I'm I'm always uh it's always fascinating to be around parents and think of your own like i think of my mum, and she must be sitting there thinking i oh, wipe that kid's ass like what's he what's he doing on stage and why are these people coming to see him that's very funny <laughs> you know i took
2: mum to see me live my sister's haven to saw me live at this corporate gig in brisbane at a, a corporate ago. gig yeah so wow. was, it was like it was like clean so it's good I was like oh this is she's not gonna be like oh my god what is it talking about Um, so like this is as safe as a gate right I do 20 minutes I'm the headliner but there's someone else a friend of mine Anissa doing um, a five minute set of poetry right and after we both finished, mom comes up to Anissa. Goes, you were so fantastic. <laughs> you were really, really good, Oliver. You're okay, but you were really, really good. I was like, come on. What, what do I got to do? But it's um. There's an element of like um. I'm trying to do. So the show I have upcoming at Griffin Theatre is a play. It's in between. Story and like stand up stand up yeah um so it's it's that good dichotomy of drama and comedy infused together, I think sh- that's what. Mum loves the most In terms of like Oh I want to see I want to see something I'm invested in There was yeah. a lot of jerks Yeah Like oh that's Okay that's silly Oliver We know silly Oliver Right So they like it Right But I felt I feel like they were like I want to see more Yeah um,
1: They they saw the The fast food version Of your career yes. And what they want is The three course meal
2: <laughs> They want the three course meal Yeah And um Yeah So I, I think Getting to a place Where you can be like Oh this is this is something for everybody.
1: Yeah. At how was the family about you moving to Sydney? Um, you know what? It was just like a
2: like a split decision like that. I I kind of do I'm like, you know, I make compulsive decisions all the time, but not like in a bad way, but like I I like to take care take advantage of what's been given to me on the table. Yeah. Having lived my life not knowing what's gonna happen, now I'm so very aware of like the kind of controls I could take over my life. Right. So in terms of like I just you know, the other week I was just in Melbourne and I like I didn't tell anyone. I was like, I'm just gonna go to Melbourne because I feel like going to Melbourne and yep. I can afford to. And I was like, oh yes, let's one hundred percent do that. And um in terms of coming to Sydney I knew it would be a really good decision for my career. And I, I told mom and she was like, yeah, okay. If you want to do that, do that. But I know they don't travel. So I knew it was going to be a hassle in terms of like seeing them. I would have to go back. I right. The last three years that I've lived in Sydney every time i've seen them it's because i've gone back they've not come here right and they most likely will not even even the show i'm like i gotta
1: take it to queensland yeah
2: if i really want them to come and see it. perform at the
1: Ipswich town hall yeah. um, <laughs> it's, it's funny i like i don't see really any of my family yeah. in the state either you know like my mum and auntie and that are uh, you know older so of course that makes sense but even a lot of my friends i don't see here one of my one of my dear friends it, it, and he hadn't been to Sydney in a long time, and he came here, and uh, he'd had he'd been here for the day, and I caught up with him, and he just had this look of terror on his face, and I was like, "Hey, are you, are you all right?" And he was just like. How do you live here? And it's like, <laughs> oh, I, I guess it's quite full on, isn't it? But I quite, It is full on. I, you know, I kind of like that electric I love energy. And you know, as a kid,
2: it's it's so like, what else are you gonna do? Right. It's like, give me something. Yes. I'm also like as a as as a person. I'm like. <laughs> I need I need I, um, I was telling someone That uh, every time I hear an ambulance Yeah I get really excited Right yeah, And I was like Oh man Somebody must have You know someone. Horribly Shut themselves And they need Not an ambulance well. <laughs> But also Super exciting Someone needs <laughs> help And someone's somebody going help. to it. There's something happening You know right. what I mean I get A uh, doll And just like in my head a lot. Yeah. If I if nothing is happening. Yeah. And I don't like being in my head. I don't know anyone that likes being in their head. You know, it's it's a tough place to be sometimes. <laughs> you know. It's like ple- my pleasure at someone else's expense. The uh I
1: always wanted to live in a big city because yeah. of that. I love the sound of a of buses going past constantly and the exhalation of the gears, which kind of suggests to me that the city is breathing you know it's a it's it's a comforting feeling to me and it was always something that was a big aim even to the extent now where I had some friends a couple of weeks ago saying hey when you're moving back to Melbourne I'm like it's just like I like it here I like you know like yeah. it's full on yeah. and it's challenging at times but also being stuck in your own head it's uh did you find uh lockdown challenging for that or were you able to find ways to make sure you could get outside of your head and then go back in
2: it's interesting um because it's it's a blessing and a curse um if if i find myself stuck is like really hard to get out of then i have to within it pull something out when i do get out it's 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 that pull and push situation where it's like yeah then there must be there must be a, like I'm a very ref- reflective kind of guy it's like all my like work feels reflective yeah so when i do end up in a reflective state outside my control it's like oh maybe this is just an opportunity to kind of like write something, or like think of something I haven't in a while, and see if we can turn that into something. Yeah. So I use that lockdown in terms of like, um, working on 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 a few ideas that I had in my head and uh, sharpening already odd ones that I had. Right. Um, which is which is good. Which is good.
1: The. It was... uh, That sounds like a great approach, by the way. Uh, It was... Because it was tricky. The thing that I found... That I managed to discover about myself... Was that... Probably in the last 10 years... I'd forgotten a distinct aspect of me. And... And what's that? I... I... I had forgotten that I'm... I'm not cynical. And I know that's a... Not that I thought that I was acting cynically... But there was a cynicism to my world, which had. Uh, That's kind in of, vogue right now. Yeah, well, I think you know it's uh, <laughs> you know it, it comes from an ironic detachment, which lends itself to a cynicism. And while I lived in Melbourne, the 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 world that I lived in, I was constantly belittled, it, you know, and belittling. Doesn't necessarily mean in a specifically nasty way. Belittling can be in an offhand, you know, at your expense, joking around kind of way. But, right. But I uh, was uh, constantly belittled as you know, ah, uh, he's the guy that likes things. Right. He likes. Th- he's he's into things. Right. I know it's and, I, and and that sort of wears you down after a while, and then. <laughs> And then I was here, and I'm listening to every album by Roxy Music, and it's like, yeah, no, I like shit, <laughs> and I and, and I find that uh, I, I like heaps of things, and uh, I like finding uh, a certain amount of playfulness and joy in in creation, yeah. And, and it had stopped being that, and but it. But you, are you
2: also the kind of same person that can switch off their likeness? Can you like be around people, and because the the. The double-edged sword is that you're around people Right And you're like, fuck, I wish I was home listening <laughs> Right Putting the vinyl on And then, like, is that is that the alternative?
1: Well, the I reckon the pendulum swung too far mm. So uh, there was a period actually before lockdown Where there was a six-month period up here in Sydney Where I just self-isolated Well before COVID was even a word That anyone <laughs> yeah. had ever really sort of entertained yeah. And so and then i realized that oh i have to you know i have to swing it back the other way and i think that was the right thing to do at yeah, the time yeah, yeah. and then i had to get it back the other way so then when i went into isolation last year i was like you know what i've got this Right. i've got this i think i know how to i'm going to have to think about this specific situation but emotionally i know how to traverse it and yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's uh, you know it's tricky and, and and having those times where if you are a self-reflective person it can be you know it's a fine line between getting something positive out of it and yeah. just being a bit self-indulgent, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I've, uh, we're getting close to the end of the podcast, but I, I want to talk to you about your show, and I also want to talk to you about how long ago was it? Like because time. Is, has been stretched and compressed, and it's oh, yeah. like like last year took seven years, but we are in mid-February, and it feels like it's been an hour and a half for <laughs> 2021. When did I see the show that you did at the old Giant Dwarf, the trial show? That would have been 2019. So that was 2019. And, yeah, end of 2019. Far out. Like, I honestly could not work out when I saw that show. So uh, is that is that the show that you're going to be doing at the theatre or is, was that the genesis of the show that you're going to be doing in March? Or, would, or are they two different things? Um, so I got to Sydney three years ago. I started
2: writing two shows. Right. One is the one you saw and the other is the play I'm doing at Griffin. Right. What's happened now is they've both been fused together right um and the griffin show already had more details and elements of storytelling more than uh the show that you saw Jandorf. and that was purely a show i was going to do at festivals like uh stand-up shows and like you were saying that was going to be just fast food just like mostly jerks um no real story arc. uh or through line of like, oh this is, you know, chronologically in this order or this yeah. is happening and sort of like no particular story. In this one there is a through line. Um and then I've taken elements like certain parts of like um this show you saw a Jan Dwarf and put that into the theatre show. Um and then yeah I've made it to a point where it's like it's a theatre show. I have a set design, I have a sound design um, but it's all very minimal to a point where it can be torable in both instances, and yep. since it's a one one person show, it's just like stand up um, standing up in front of people and then telling
1: these stories and this jokes and um, It's good to have a show that's so robust that if all the tech stops yeah. working, everyone can hold up their phones, put the light on you, and you can still do the show yeah. and then everything else is yes. is flavor yes, so there's
2: that show you saw. It's not too far away from the show I'm doing at Griffin um, in terms of themes. It just has more layers. There's more layers and more layers and more layers. More flavours. Just a more deep, dense dish that you're going to enjoy. Yeah especially,
1: yeah, especially for your mum. This will be the show yes. your mum loves. Yes. And, and can you uh, give us a, a, a synopsis of uh, what this show entails? Uh, a synopsis
2: of the show so it's called Jali um, and Jali is a, is a West African term which means a storyteller, a poet, a musician back like a historian and back in the days um, the oral tradition of storytelling within Africa was um, you'd have um, say a chief of the village and the chief would have his second hand man and that man would go around the village telling stories and like giving people the information that the chief would want to pass through the whole village so it would be like this ceremonial thing where he would come maybe set a a bone like a fire in the middle and then play some music tell some stories and then give some information and all that and all that and then stories he would go from village to village from village to village and like what is what was a Jolly back then would be a modern day stand up comedian or a storyteller. Right. Um like um like a Dave Chappelle, like a Chris Locke. Those they emulate like very, very specific skills and um elements of jallies and Griot's. Sometimes they're called grill. Right. Um so the the show entails um the genesis of how I ended up to Australia. So it weaves through this pendulum of time going We're in Rwanda. We're in Malawi. In Australia, how did we end up here? Um, How have times changed? It's um, it's a very, um, it's a show about change and how experiences changes someone. Yep. And um, how one adapts to that. So one of the quotes that I use in the show is, "When the music changes, so so does the dance." Right. And um, it's an old African proverb that it really encapsulates change in the perfect sense as possible is that you know you hear you hear a song this is the dance we're dancing now but if it changes you do change the dance and that element of adapting is um it's like a symbol of motivation of resilience within the african community and um yeah i i've tried to carry that on with every kind of like Changing moment Even last year When everything Drastically changed Yeah You kind of like Remember these elements Of like Okay This is a different song Yeah So let's dance differently
1: Yeah great And is this the Is this the debut of it Or did you get to perform it Before No this is the debut of it great. It was scheduled
2: for last year Right that's Ginger what I July. thought Yeah And then um Kobe came And I was like Well And then uh, the contract got scrapped and then it got recontracted, luckily enough, because a lot of moving pieces, like everyone else in a lot of theater companies at Griffin, but um, they were super supportive enough and uh, super excited to bring it back. So I'm very lucky to having to do it finally. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I'm doing two weeks of a run. It was one week last year. So that's good. Yeah. Two weeks is good. Yeah, toast is good. Gives you time to lean into it. Yeah, and, you to know, really get to it and more people to see it Yeah, um, here before I can uh, tour it around. And any chance that it's going to be touring? Yes, um, that's the goal, but it's also like a very deeply personal show with yeah. like all these dense layers, yeah. So, I'm like, How much can it take out of me?
1: Oh. before <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, Okay, I think that's enough. People, when, when I would work with young comics who wanted to do something that was deeply personal and maybe had a, a, a level of trauma, yeah. in their story, and when I would work with people, I would always say you know, the Melbourne Comedy Festival goes three and a half weeks. Yeah. We need to make this show bulletproof for the middle of the festival. That (laughs) Wednesday, that's right, like, 14 days in, 15 days in, Uh when the the joy of starting has worn off (laughs) and the light at the end of the tunnel (laughs) is still a long way away. And audiences are tired and you're tired and you've been calling on this every day. And if we can make the show survive that... Then the show is ready to go. Yeah, but the other way to go is do it for two weeks. <laughs> Don't worry about that middle. Don't worry where, about that middle That's the thing that I'm. I like one of one of the many things I find fascinating and admirable and inspiring about Hannah Gadsby's show. Yeah, is that she's done that? Well, she did that for a long time, all over yeah. the world, and uh-huh. that is. That is full on, to call on that. That's intense. Call on that moment. Oh, That's intense. Um, You know, to continue to flourish and grow is... But uh,
2: it's also like... I, I don't imagine... It's... I've done this thing where I've like, oh, this is my whole story. Kind of put into a show. And I'm happy that I'm doing it now. Not that I was like any different but I was like a year younger last year but it's it's funny I, I, it's, I'm a kind of person that can learn a lot in a short time. So I've learned so much about like myself. I was like, oh, I really wanna do this show everywhere but I was like, Yeah, it's gonna take an emotion at all And it is my story as much as it is moms and my three sisters yeah. and dad that are all involved within this story. So I there's there's a limitation to how much I can go before it starts feeling a little bit like I'm using someone else's story yeah. to kind of like
1: further myself, but um. But it's also yeah, the the responsibility is inherent, but you also want to share that story, yeah. So I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. That is, but I'm sure you will nail it. Like, because you've thought about it. Like, if you hadn't thought about it, then I'd be like, "Eh, how's your mum feel about this? But because you've thought about it, that implies that it'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah, it should be good. But yeah, yeah, I can't
2: imagine touring that show. It's also like, in in my head, I'm like, because of the technical elements of the show, it's like, I want to do it. It's good because then the only place that I can genuinely do it uh, that translate the same level of intimacy is in small venues. Yeah. So that's good. Right. Yes.
1: Um, well, you know, well, like I'm hoping it's a big hit. So I hope that you have some issues in trying to work out how to make how it to bigger. How to make it bigger. That, that's a, you know, that would be a good problem to have. Um, it would be. Thanks for coming on uh, the podcast. You'll have Thank to come back. Me, uh, where can people find tickets for your show and yeah. where can they find you on social media? Um, they can find tickets
2: on the show at twisted.pro which is a website of mine yep. um and then that would directly take them to Griffin Theatre or they can go to Griffin Theatre in Darlinghurst Stables Theatre and be like hi I would like a ticket to Jolly which is the next show um at Griffin Theatre so right now Green Park is on yep and the next one is Jolly and that runs from the 16th through the 27th of March yeah great yeah and you're on twitter and i'm on uh, i'm on instagram which is the only yeah. platform i'm on and but i'm, I'm barely yeah oliver E Twist, right yeah middle name in there Sorry. but I, I feel and i don't know about this i feel like sometimes to like actually you know make something you gotta go away from it a little bit oh yeah definitely so i get torn between like and not that there's a whole lot happening on my Instagram, by the way, but it's it's like you can lose yourself in the scrolling and the catching oh. up and it's like, it's like, oh, I haven't done any productive work of mine.
1: Oh, absolutely. Look at that massive tome of a book over there by yeah. Ryan Hughes. <laughs> I, I keep that right next to my desk when I'm working, so yeah. then that way... Because you're right. It's easy to just go, I'll just have a look. Oh, my God, I've lost an hour. You know what's better? Pick that up, read for 15 minutes, and then go back to your work. So uh, smart move on your behalf. (laughs) Uh, Thank you once again for being on the show. And uh, while I think of it, uh, great work at the Comedy Store on the weekend. Oh, thank Uh, you. Really, really funny sets and... uh, really interesting and uh i thought you were a a standout over the three shows over the weekend so thank uh, you
2: man i appreciate it
1: good luck for the show and i can't wait to see it yeah can't wait for people to see it thank you Thank you to Oliver and Roe for being a part of the podcast. Remember to head to our Big Squid with Justin Hamilton Facebook page where you will be able to find tickets to his one-person show at the Griffin Theatre. Thank you for all the kind words and feedback in the past week. It is always great to hear from you. And it really does inspire me to try and make this podcast the most entertaining part of your week. I don't know if it gets there, but that is the aim. I'll be back later this week with our next episode of The Leftovers. I'm really enjoying that as well. It's nice to have some one-on-one time with you. Enough of these pesky guests getting in the way of us hanging out, right? (laughs) Um, I've also made a concerted effort to not talk about Christopher Nolan this season. I feel like I've only dropped his name maybe seven or eight times per podcast. But if you'd like to hear me bang on some more about it, go over and check out the latest episode of Faux, Faux with Will Anderson. Yes, he finally saw Tenet. I I knew Will was going to love Tenet, but look, I had to suppress all compulsions to tell him this because it took him ages, like fucking ages. I started to take it personally. Like, I was like, you're deliberately not seeing this, even though you know you're going to love it, just to spite me. Yeah, that's where I got in my head. No, that's not true. But I did have to suppress the compulsion to uh, just, I didn't even want to tell him, hey, you're going to love this because even that could put a little dent in the enjoyment. So, anyway, he finally saw it. Guess what? Loved it. And we talk about it on the podcast. It's a fun podcast. Head over to the Tofop website to find that. It's episode 318 of Fofop. Over at my website, justinhamilton.com.au, you can find blogs and short stories to keep you entertained when you should be working or doing the dishes or anything really useful in the world. We'll have more details about the live show soon too, uh, so keep an ear out for that. And as always, come over to our Facebook page and say hello if you get the time, if you get the opportunity. And if you have time to post a positive review on any of the sites that you use or would like to encourage people to listen to this podcast, then that would be greatly appreciated. Let's go out today with a quote from Susan Sontag. I feel once again and I rejoice that I'm not busy dying, I'm still busy being born. Until then.